everyone's excited. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this morning, um, oh look, there we go. So here we are. We're continuing our journey in Joseph, and uh, this is our. Oh, I should have done that in white, shouldn't I? Oh, that's terrible. Sorry about that. Uh, so this morning's topic is reaching the end of ourselves, and it's the blessing of giving up control. The blessing of giving up control. Now, I don't know how controlling you think you are. (laughs) This is a tough one for a lot of us. A little bit or a massive control freak. Um, Are you the kind of person that in your workplace you like everyone to run it past you just in case? Uh, Do you find that you're just sort of itching a bit to tweak something, a project maybe, or uh, someone's tidied up the home, but it wasn't quite to your standard, so you might just clean it again. (laughs) Or um, perhaps someone's made something. You know, I found myself the other day um, sitting across the table from my daughter. She did her homework, and I found myself picking up a pencil, just a colouring. It was innocent. I just wanted to help her a little bit with her colouring because it wasn't quite inside the lines. Now, that's a, a small thing, and I guess I can confess that, you know, we all have a bit of an issue in control. And it's amazing, isn't it, how we can fully justify our control, but we don't think other people's is justified at all. They're complete control freaks. Now, you might have a genuine reason for uh, feeling that need to control. You know, people might have let you down, um, and your experiences in the past have shown you this. But there obviously is one area where we don't want to be grabbing control, and that is in the area of God's control. And that's our temptation the whole time, to grab back control. And that leads to all sorts of things, such as anxiety and depression, because the more we want to control something, obviously, we can't. There's only one person truly in control, and that is God. So we need to be resisting the temptation. When God's done something or planned it, we've got to resist the temptation to tweak it. Okay, that's not our issue. And of course, the walk of faith is one that starts with laying down control, isn't it? When we become Christians, we simply come to Jesus and say, I cannot save myself. I can't control my ability to sin. I just, I'm I'm just, I'm fully sinful. I know I need you. I need you. I need you. And we give up that control that says, I can be good enough for God. We lay that down. And as we go in the walk of faith, it's continually an act of laying down control in a way. It's uh, every little step that we take, we're going to put down the control. It's when we reach the end of ourselves. It's when we, we know we can't change it, we can't mold it, we have to put it in God's hands. And those moments, I don't know about you, are the ones that are the most full of tears, uh, the most wrestling, the most agonizing, and sometimes rage-filled moments. But they are the ones that bear the fruit of faith. They're the ones where we see the real spiritual growth as we grow in our trust of God 
and letting him have the control of things. It's in those moments that we are able to say, God, I am really worried that that person won't remember. But even if they don't, I trust that you are in control. It's about saying, God, I'm terrified that this person won't do this and then this might happen. But even if it does, I'm going to trust you, God. You are in control. And sometimes it's, I'm so full of fear, God, that I won't be able to. But even if I can't, I'm going to trust you, God. Um, It's a wrestle, a wrestle of faith. And when we wrestle in that, we eventually come to that place of release. To let it go. To let go of control. And in that, we know the blessings. It's a place where we go, thank goodness I'm not in control, but you are. So that's what we're going to look at today, the blessing of letting go of control. And if you take a Bible in front of you, there's loads around. We're uh, going to Genesis 42. I know you're all thinking, we did that last week. Yeah, we did. It's okay. So turn to 42. And if you weren't here, um, I'm just going to catch you up that in this section of 42, we've got this situation where um, famine has come across the land and the brothers have gone to Egypt. They've met Joseph. um, And in that very... uh, awful situation that we looked at last week with Joseph agonizing with his feelings that are raging all over the place and the brothers don't know what's going on and they're accused of being spies and he throws one of them in prison, Simeon, and he says, if you want to come back for more, if you want to prove that you are honest men, then bring your brother Benjamin back to me. And that's where we left last week. Bring your brother Benjamin back to me. So the brothers have gone home. They are minus Simeon. And that's what we're going to pick up on this week in verse 35. So 42 and verse 35. So um, Joseph wants to know, this is how I'll find out if you're honest men. Okay, you'll bring Ben back. Okay, so this is the brothers going home. As they were emptying their sacks, this verse 35, there in each man's sack was a pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Now just wait there. Because let's look at what's going on here first. They empty the pouches. There's the silver. Now, we know that this has already happened because on the way home, the brothers noticed the silver was there. And it tells um, tells us that they were trembling, saying, what has God, God done to us? And here, dad now sees the money. And they were frightened afraid. They were terrified. And what's Jacob's reaction? This is important because Jacob's who we're with today. Jacob says, when he sees the money, he's frightened and he says, 
You've deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. So when he says, you've deprived me, it means I've been bereaved. I've lost a son through you already. Jacob immediately, I think, from his reaction, he says, you've deprived me. You have bereaved me. It's your fault. I think, I wonder, and I don't know, but I wonder if he immediately thinks that silver is there because they've put it there. Because later on, he says, maybe it was a mistake. So I think his immediate reaction, Jacob, is, what's that money doing there? And he immediately thinks that those brothers are guilty. We'll carry on. Then, verse 37, Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. What? Reuben? Reuben was the one who should have protected Joseph. He is the oldest in the family. He's the one who should have been in control that day. But they didn't bring Joseph back. What does Jacob say? He says, verse 38, but Jacob said, and this is not just a said, this is a challenge. They're in an argument now. My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Okay. What's going on here? Because the first thing we think is, and people will say it, he's the only one left. What's he on about? He's got loads of them. There's 12 of them, for goodness sake. How can he be the only one left? Well, let's just think about Jacob's mindset for a minute. So if you don't know the story, we're going to take a little bit of a back rewind. So here is Jacob, and he meets the love of his life. The beautiful woman, he falls head over heels in love with her. She's the desire of his life. He works seven years for her, and then her father tricks him into marrying Leah, her sister. He works another seven years, he finally gets Rachel, the love of his life. And we know from the Bible, he loved Rachel, and he didn't love Leah. Now that sounds awful, doesn't it? And there's no excuses for that. But what comes next is this battle between the women. They have try and have babies. Rachel can't have babies. Leah's having one after the other. She's naming them stuff like, maybe my husband will attach to me now. We get a bit of an insight into how her mind's going. And as they name their children, it's, it's like they're playing out a war between them for Jacob's affection. But the whole time, Jacob loves Rachel. And it's almost like he ignores everything else because she's his wife. And when finally she has a baby, Joseph, this is the one he spoils, he adores, he loves, he lavishes. He treats him like he's his only son. Okay? And then Rachel has another baby, She dies in childbirth. She names him son of my suffering and dad, Jacob, changed it to son of my right hand. 
Joseph is lost. You can imagine up to this point, there must have been some weird emotional stuff going on because every time he looks at Ben, he remembers how he was born. And Joseph continues to get all this lavish affection. Then Joseph is gone and he moves it to Ben. And Ben is the last one. He's the last bit of his attachment to Rachel. Every time he looks at Ben, he thinks of Joseph. Every time he looks at Ben, he thinks of Rachel. He is his baby of the whole family. He's the one he's never, ever going to let anything happen to. And we can identify that, can't we? When we have our youngest child, it's the baby, and you don't want the baby to leave home. But this is a billion times worse because in Jacob's mind, he's the only one left. He's baby Ben, and there is no way, even if this family starves to death, that he will ever let anything happen to this little boy. So I want you to understand that mindset, because that's where the control is happening. That's a little background for you. Let's read on. So, chapter 43, and that's where we're at now. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they'd eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy a little more food. Hello, dad. You might be the problem here. But Jake, but Judah said to him, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send your brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down because the man said to us, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel, that's another name for Jacob, asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? This is your fault again, boys. And they replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living, he asked. Do you have another brother? No, he didn't. If you read back, he didn't. They volunteered it. We simply answered his questions. How were we to know, he would say, bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father. Okay, now Judah steps up here. Remember, Judah was the one who sold Joseph. Don't forget that. He's the one that suggested it. And after he sold him, Judah leaves the family. We don't know why, but we can speculate. He leaves. He goes away. He starts his own family. He has his own troubles. And he's come back. And I think he's come back a different man. So Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may not live, may live and not die. Three generations are about to die because Judah, um, Jacob cannot give up Ben and they're going to die. And Judah has risen up. And he says, Dad, we're not messing about anymore. We're going to die if you don't give up Ben. Come on, Dad. And what does he say? I myself will guarantee his safety. Not I'm going to put my sons to death, my life. I will guarantee his safety. And you can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. 
He's saying, you know, Dad, you can't control this anymore. We are going to die. I know you're hoping it's going to rain. You're hoping something's going to change. Anything will happen, but we've got to take Ben. And it is agony. Absolute agony. And these are the wrestling times that we enter into. I mean, ours might not be as serious. It might be we're in a really tough job situation. And we've got to let it go. But we don't want to because if we let it go, will I get another job? If I let it go, how will I pay the mortgage? If I let it go, what would, will God really help me? Or, um, just trying to think. Maybe you've got some kind of coping strategy for life. And actually that coping strategy, it doesn't bring you much joy because Jacob's not in a joyful place right now. He's terrified living in utter fear that Ben is going to die. We might have a coping strategy and it doesn't, it's not good for us. But if we give it up, what will happen? Maybe we won't cope. Maybe we'll spiral down. Maybe this will happen. Maybe, maybe, maybe. So let's read on. Verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, and this is the change. This is the release. This is him laying it down. This is him saying, okay. If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bag and take them down as the man, to the man as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, some spice, some myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you for you must return the silver that was put into the mouth of your sack. So that's interesting. He's given them benefit down. Perhaps it was a mistake. We don't know what he's doing there. Does he believe them? Doesn't he? Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once and may. And here is our bit for today. May God Almighty El Shaddai grant you mercy before the man so that he will let you and your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I'm bereaved, I am bereaved. And this is what release looks like, isn't it? It's saying, well, if I don't cope, I don't cope. If I regret this, I regret it. If I don't get another job, I don't get another job. It's saying, whatever happens. But what is he trusting in? And what are we trusting in? May God Almighty, may El Shaddai. El Shaddai is how God introduced himself. It's how he appeared to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's the name they know him by, God Almighty. And that is who he's releasing the trust to. He's saying, God, this is terrifying, but I'm giving it over to El Shaddai. And if they don't come back, they don't come back. So what's it say? So the men took gifts and double the amount of silver and Benjamin also. And Benjamin also, it's kind of like, it's the last little bit. It's almost like they're prizing him out of their fingers. They've, he's done everything he can. He's taken gifts. He's trying to bargain with this man, anything. But ultimately, they've had to prize Ben out of his fingers. And off they've gone. And it makes me think of um, a few other examples in the Bible. For example, Esther, 
when she's going before the king and she knows that if she goes unannounced, the penalty is death. But if she doesn't go, all of her people are going to be wiped out. And she stands there and she says, if I perish, I perish. You pray, if I perish, I perish. It reminds me a bit about uh, Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego, if I get their names right. When they stand there and they say, you know, our God can save us from this fire, fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to you. And then Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he says, God, take this from me. Take it. This is awful. This is the worst thing in the world to give up control of my life to these people and let them do what they're going to do. But not my will, but yours. It's that gradual, it's that giving up of control. And our things might be small things. These are huge things. But these are the men and women of faith that have laid it down and said, God, I will trust you. If it goes wrong, it goes wrong, but I will trust you. I will not try and control it anymore. I will let it go to you, God, and trust. Israel gave it to El Shaddai, the thing he feared losing more than anything else. And we look back with amazing advantage, don't we? We know that if... If Jacob hadn't done this, then he might never have seen Joseph again. If he hadn't have done this, he would never have known what happened to his son. He would never have had the chance to meet his grandchildren, Ephraim and Manasseh, and bless them. The brothers wouldn't have been able to know what it was to live free from guilt. Joseph wouldn't have been able to move on. And ultimately, this family might have died out. Because who's left? Joseph, Simeon in prison. What could have happened? What could, could, could have happened? If, if, if. If Jacob hadn't been able to wrestle and then release. And today, God's calling us to continue in faith. Even when we don't understand You know, sometimes it can feel like control is being ripped out of our hands too. I know when I was working as a teacher and I was just dying, but I was terrified to let it go, to lay it down because what would I do? How would I live? How would I pay the bills? What if I never get another job? Oh, I'm useless, blah, 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 blah. But if I hadn't have laid it down then I wouldn't have had this. I wouldn't have been able to go abroad. I wouldn't have had those experiences. I wouldn't have met those people. I wouldn't have been to Bible college. None of this would have been if I hadn't have laid it down. But it was horrendous. I remember when we were, uh, when we were pregnant with Becky, and um, it sounds awful, but we thought we were going to lose her. We were in a terrible place. But we had to lay down control because we weren't in control. We had to sit on the kitchen floor and pray, God, you're in control, we're not. And when we do that, that is when the peace comes. Because before that, you're in high anxiety through the roof because you're trying to control it. 
And actually that laying down is when you say, God, you're in control. I can't control this. Whatever happens, happens, but I trust that you are good. And it takes work to get there. It is never going to be easy. It's not a a walk in the park. The great men and women of faith that we read about in the Bible did not get it because they just casually went, yeah, no problem. That's easy. Leave my whole family. Yeah, okay. No. It's about laying down control. Rescue me from this or not. Change this situation or not. Do this or do, do not. But I will trust in you. And then comes the blessings of giving up control. Faith, we sometimes say it's a bit like being upside down. It's an upside down faith, isn't it? The more we give up control, the safer we will feel. Now, how weird is that? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you stand amongst us this morning. And for each of us, you know the anxieties, the fear, the thing we don't want to let go of, lay down, the thing we're trying to control, keep, keep on top of, the things we're worried might happen if, if, if. Jesus, we now just take that and we might need to do it again and again and again. But we want to put that in your hands in this place this morning. We want to admit that we can't control it, but you were in control. And we declare over that thing that you are good, you are faithful, you are the God Almighty. And whatever happens, we will stay trusting in you.